This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. On Tour is a production of iHeartRadio and Black Barrel Media. I'm your host, Brian Ray. On this show, we'll take you behind the scenes of the music business to give you the most raw and real tales you've likely never heard before. We'll share our wildest, most unbelievable, and yes, most embarrassing moments while on tour. Today, I reminisce with my good friend Matt Sorum at my getaway pad in Palm Springs. We chilled in my living room and watched the sunset on my squeaky vintage leather chairs, which you may hear from time to time. Matt was one of my first calls when we decided to do this show because his life defines rock and roll excess, and he has the wild stories to prove it. Matt was the drummer for Guns N' Roses during the massive success and heyday of their double album, Use Your Illusion. He won a Grammy in 2004 with Velvet Revolver and started his rock days with the cult. However, before he was a world-famous drummer, he made ends meet, smuggling drugs across the border, and that's where we begin. You'll hear a lot of references to Matt's book, Double Talk and Jive, the release date changed while we were producing this season. However, pre-orders are available now. Follow Matt Sorum on social media for details. Here's my conversation with Matt Sorum. Matt, it's good to have you here. Welcome to my show today. So cool, Brian, right here in Palm Springs, California. Right? Here we are kicking it in Palm Springs, driving our V8s around this old town. It's so We have arrived, my friend. It's so fun, right? We paid our dues, and now we're here we are. That's right. That's living right. a life of luxury. Living a life of flip-flops and, and Bermuda shorts. <laughs> Pajamas at night for me. That's it. Well, so I was thinking about it. In, in some ways, for a lot of people out there, uh, you them would embody the sex, drugs, and rock and roll stereotype that a lot of people have of rock stars. <laughs> and you just had a book come out. 
that tells a lot of juicy stories, but we're going to try and get to a few of them there uh, as a teaser to the book. There's no way we can cover everything, but uh, we'll get to what yeah. we can. It was, uh, yeah, it's been a wild ride so far. The wild ride's continuing, I hope, but uh, maybe not uh, in that aspect, in a different way. <laughs> it's a new wild ride. So tell us a little bit about the book, its title, and it just was released. Uh, tell us about it a little bit. Yeah, uh, the book's entitled Double, Double Talk and Jive. And, you know, interesting title based on a song that was recorded on Usual Illusions 1 and 2 from the group I was in called Guns N' Roses. I've heard of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my book really tells a lot of tales of the trials and tribulations of being in the business. And as you know, I've been in a bunch of bands. <laughs> so, uh you know, the hills and valleys. Yeah. You know, a lot of hills and valleys, like a lot of super highs and a lot of super lows. And so Double Talk and Jive is sort of my way of saying, hey, this is going to be really a wild ride. It's going to have a dark undercurrent of kind of, you know, the underneath, underbelly of what people really don't know. I mean, they look at a band like Guns N' Roses and they say, ooh, those guys just must be partying. Well, you know, they think you just got there by accident. You know, you didn't have to work for it, right? You're just like, I'm in a band. He's a rock star. He's like, woo. You know, it's like, well, no, actually getting there, it was a lot of hard work. And and then when I got in that band and in the book, I talk about, you know, my drug addiction escalated based on the fact that in those days, being in Guns N' Roses was what I felt like being on a pirate ship. It was like, it was <laughs> That's like, a great yeah, ho, 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 you know, and, and I felt like I had to do it. It was almost like the old expression, waving the flag for rock and roll. Mm. It's like, I'm in this band. First thing I did is went and got a t- my first tattoo, you know, because mm. they were tattooed all over their bodies. And I wanted to be part of the gang, you know, mm. I was like, I'd come from the cult, this British band, which we'll talk about in a Mm -hmm. minute. But once I joined GNR, it was just off the chain, like go in, go in hard, or or you're not in the band. You know, you wouldn't be the right fit. Yeah, and you know, I remember I remember being on the road one night. It was a Sunday night. We were in Poughkeepsie, New York. Oh yeah, Poughkeepsie. And here we'd been on the road like six months, and pretty much every night was a party and. I thought, maybe I'll sleep tonight. You know, it's Poughkeepsie. There couldn't possibly be anything happening, you know? So I'm in my room and I get a call from the keyboard player, Dizzy Reed, which we can talk a little bit about later. But uh, he calls me, Matt, get down to my room, you know? And I remember going down the hallway and opening the door and it was like a scene out of Caligula, you know? It was just like, all going what on. the hell? I mean, you know, and he rounded up like all the local party people, because as we know, being in a band, we're on the road forever, but for them, it's the greatest night of their lives. That's right. One night only for them. Yeah. For us, it's another night. Yeah. (laughs) You're coming to town and everyone wants to celebrate with you. So what are you going to do? I mean, you're a young man, you're in a band, you you know, you do it. And especially in that, that band, I really felt like obligated too, you know. <laughs> yeah, it might be the avatar of all the rock era that might embody partying rock stars more than any other band. You know, I think it came from the guys that came before us, right? So we grew up with great bands. Like you look at the Stones, you go, "Yeah, I want to be like the Stones." I mean, look yeah. at Keith. You know, and then of course here I was a drummer, and who were my favorite drummers? You know, John Bonham and Keith Moon, mm-hmm. who both died of alcoholism. You know, but. You didn't seem to, that didn't seem to register. You just. <laughs> you looked at the glitz, but not so much the. Yeah. The, the final scene. He drove his Rolls Royce into a swimming pool. Yeah. I love that. And when you're out on the road, there was no information because there was no internet. So I used to say more in three area codes away, let's go. Right? It was like, even if you, <laughs> even if you had somebody that you had to answer to, mm. they would, how would they know what you're doing? They wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Because there was none of this. That's right. There's no sort of retweeting, (laughs) no pictures of you in that hotel room of Dizzy's Poughkeepsie. People ask me, what happened to rock and roll? What do you think happened? I said, well, I think the internet screwed us up in some respects. You know, you have to look at the old days and 
you know, the mystique of rock and roll. When we used to think about Led Zeppelin in the castle. That's right. You know, you'd be like, oh, they're in a castle and they're yeah. writing like, you know, this epic album. That, ooh. Yeah. Can you imagine them like John Bonham tweeting a picture of his mic set up? Yeah. For, uh, not cool. With the levy break. It's not cool. We're like, no, it, we don't want to know. No. Right? And there's no yeah. evidence because of, uh, because of the, uh, just the occurrence of, there was no internet back yeah. then. Yeah, so as a young man, I guess that's sort of what I, the way I looked at it. And then once I got into the band, you know, it was no holds barred. And I, I'm glad I did it that way. I mean, and in the book, it'll describe sort of the transition and what happens and what, what goes to, to the demise of GNR, which when we broke up in, in 97, everyone mm. started to leave. And, mm. But it wasn't based around clear thought. You know, was like, I'm getting that. Everything was a little hot. Like, what decision would you make if you were like a little more sobered up? It was a careen. <laughs> it had a, a careening quality to yeah, it. Yeah, crash. Well, well, let's get into some of the early years. Um, I've read that you dropped out of high school to be a drummer and got caught up pretty seriously in the drug scene, selling pot and smuggling cocaine. That's yeah. some heavy shit. Yeah, this it, the book goes deeper into it, but basically, I just didn't want to have a real job. <laughs> So, you know, where I grew up in Orange County, Dana Point Harbor was sort of Mecca for, for smuggling. And if you look at where I grew up, I just would know all these guys that would be driving nice cars and they were my friends. And I'd be like, what do you do, man? You got, it's like, well, I just, I sell weed. So in between like gigs and stuff, I was like struggling financially. Obviously I was making a couple hundred bucks a week playing top 40 or playing with Greg or getting a little session. And I meet this guy, says he wants to start a band and uh, wants me to be his drummer and he's going to pay me a salary, but we're only going to play once a month. I'm like, I'm in. What do I got to do? <laughs> so Your kind of schedule. So in the book, it describes this guy and I end up finding out he's a big cocaine smuggler and that's how he's paying the bill. And we're booked out in like, for months at like Baby O Studios. Remember the athletic club? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah right. Studio. Up in the back. We would go book that place and he's like, you produce the album and there's endless flows of cash. And then there was a lot of cocaine involved. So he offers to get me in on the smuggling thing and I end up uh, working for him, uh, trafficking mm. uh, kilos of, of stuff overseas and it was got pretty crazy. If you read the book, it goes into when I get out, which is the perfect time. When you get out of the drug business. I just had an intuitive feeling that something was going to go wrong very quickly. Okay, let's just have just a snapshot of one of your sort of main deals that, okay. that sort of tipped you off that this might not be the career that you're going to keep forever. Well, you know, it's interesting when I talk about this because, you know, it's for me now, I look back and I go, well, it's not something to brag about, but I did do it. So I have to be truthful. And when I wrote my book, the, the thing I wanted to be was honest. And I wanted to kind of speak through the time that I, it happened. So my voice changes throughout the book. And, mm. you know, I have to bring back, I can't just be like totally clean about it. Mm. It's the way it went down. Mm -hmm. So I would literally strap two kilos of cocaine to my body, very much like the film, uh, Midnight Express. Mm -hmm. And in those days, when you went through um, security checkpoints at the airport, there was no... No TSA back then. No, uh-uh. You just walked through. But there were dogs once in a while. Well, there was dogs, and there was these guys that would watch you from behind these little pedestals that would look at you. Right. So my deal was, don't do any before you get on the plane, right? right. Don't be sweating. <laughs> but I used to use this large exercise, um, like Velcro apparatus that they used to use it looked like a wetsuit and i would get literally put on a, a baggy shirt and a large jacket and i would get on the plane and most of my drops are hawaii and uh i would do that flight and i would take a surfboard with me because i i did because you kind of look like a surfer yeah well, i had longer hair and i'm you know i would maybe go to the tanning booth if i was like because i was partying pretty hard in those days so i wasn't out in the sun a lot yeah, like, like never. Yeah, like never. So I would get on the plane like this surfer kid, fly to Hawaii, and I would land there, and I'd go to Waikiki and uh, meet these guys and pick up the cash. And, and I'd get back on the plane, usually carrying about 25 grand cash wrapped around me, and um, 
go back and drop the money and get my couple of grand out of the deal. And that would get me by for whatever amount of time. And, and then uh, towards the end of that series of jobs that I did for that guy, I, I just, not that I was doing enough drugs to get paranoid in that way, but yeah, probably. I was, I was like, we're being watched and, and all that. So I basically said, I got to get out of this, right? And exactly around that time, I get the call to go and audition for the cult. When I left, the guy that took my place on the smuggling thing got arrested going over. Oh, shit. So they kind of had their number. They spent 20 years in federal penitentiary. He ended up getting out in 10. And it was international smuggling charge, which that could have been me. And was the guy who brought you into it, was he one of the people that were arrested? Or no, no. Just the uh, guy who took your place doing the, the run? The guy that took my place doing the run. And he didn't wow. rat anybody out, thank God, because we were all freaking out, like... You know, he's just going to dump on all of us and we're going to be... But we, he never did rat us out. He, he did his time and, and you know, every day I was waiting for a knock on the door for a while. And But luckily at that point, I moved back to Hollywood. I was living down in Long Beach and I, and I auditioned for the cult. I remember, I don't know if you ever had this experience, but you'd get a gig, but maybe you didn't know if you completely had it yet you had to wait a little bit of time or whatever. oh sure yeah so i got real superstitious about telling anybody because ian asbury hadn't signed off on me yet mm-hmm. so everyone would go hey how's the audition going i go oh, you know i don't know man even though billy duffy told me i had the gig mm-hmm. and i just remember in those days I, you know dress code was very important my buddy uh terry nails and steve jones even said don't wear your cowboy boots you know steve jones we're all black you know, for the cult. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember, you know, do something about your head, you know, kind of, it was a little too poofy. Yeah. It was a little bit big for the cult, right? Yeah. The cult was like. More goth, actually. It was called the death cult originally. Yeah. uh, The death cult, Southern death cult. So they had this gothic kind of thing. And, uh, you know, so I dressed like that and went in there and, and then I, I waited for like two weeks to say anything. And me and Asbury came back from London and we did one more rehearsal. And he came in, he looked at me and he turned around. And I go into detail in the book, but he turned around and looked at me and he said, you got the gig, but just don't smile so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. So, I mean, it is the Southern death cult. Yeah. Right? You want to make sure you don't And smile I would shed it, you know, that material. Yeah. Like, and I think that was the kind of the time when I became the kind of drummer that could morph into some different guys because I needed to really sort of just fit the bill, right? Yeah. In, in, in entirety, like the look, how I was going to be in the band. And I, and, and I got that gig. And within like four or five days of rehearsal, we were on the road with Metallica. The girls that would come to our show were different than the regular rock girls. They were usually gothic. You know, black hair and like red lips. And they all loved Ian, of course. But he was not available. You know, he was just this very sort of behind the scenes lead singer guy. Always had a girlfriend. So me and Billy Duffy just basically would kind of purvey that, you know. You had the field to yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You want to meet the singer? Okay. Or whatever we had to say. I mean, we were just like... (laughs) Even if he had no intentions of introducing you. Know how, you know how it goes out there. Oh, but. he's not here. <laughs> Come back to yeah. my bus. Yeah, it was so much fun. And, and me and Billy Duffy hit it off, and we ended up becoming cohorts, you know, on, the, on that particular. And that was my first real entry to, I'm now on a tour bus. Uh, you know, there's catering. I have a dressing room. I'd never really experienced that before because I'd gone through clubs and, crappy tours in bands and you know here i was now you get on that bus for the first time and you remember you're like i've arrived and i remember the first night i went out we were in uh, vancouver canada i'll never forget it because i'm backstage and there's like some catered like sushi thing i'm like what like sushi you know i've never eat raw fish i never even had sushi yeah right i couldn't afford it and there was Steven Tyler and Molly Crew was there because in those days, that was the mecca for bands recording. Remember, mm-hmm. Bruce Fairburn and Bob Rock mm-hmm. all recorded in Vancouver. So here they were. It was my first show. And I was just like, oh, I was pretty nervous. Yeah, I would imagine. 
And I remember, I think I played the set like maybe double time because it was like, so like, you know, yeah. I, I was like, wow, that went by really quick. You know, <laughs> it's like, we, did they pull you over and have a word with you? Matt, you might want to calm down just a little bit. Bring it back a Watch notch. the tempos, yeah. I mean, in my mind, it went really fast. And I've, I've seen, like, stuff where the band had a good meter to it. The, the cult was probably the best fit for me as a drummer, mm-hmm. I guess. People say that still to this day. Let me let me ask you this. Did, did Ian and Billy of the cult, did they ever, like, haze you as the new guy? Did you get any shit from them? They did weird shit, like when we go to Europe, because I'd never really been to Europe before. Here I was, this kid from California. And, and they're know, both British. Yeah, they're British. They would do weird shit, like, well, we have to exchange the money when we go over the border to Scotland. You know, it's like, it's the same money, right? It's like, it's still a pound, you know? And shit like that, or like, they would... Well, I remember being in the subway one time in Paris, and we were getting tickets to get on the subway, and Ian... Ian told me to ask the lady for the tickets for the, go up and get the tickets for us, mate. And he told me how to say it in French. Oh, and no. Basically, it Sounds was like, like trouble right here. Yeah, it's like, suck my dick, please, basically. I, I, we need three blowjobs or whatever it was. <laughs> you know, that kind of shit. And, you know, the lady's like, I miss you. I miss you. I miss you. You know, I'm like, oh, oh shit. Oh, no. You know, you assholes. That kind of stuff. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was a long time to be on the road. Your first uh, tour with them was like 185 dates or something like yeah. that in a year. Yeah. So, like, how many nights in a row did you guys work? Uh, we were like five, six a night, five or six. Five or six a week? Uh, a week, I mean, yeah. And then there's <laughs> there's a part in the book where I get walking pneumonia. And, uh, and the boogie sick. boogie flu, of course. And, well, you know, we were drinking a lot. I... I I can't say I was doing as much. It was actually kind of a little bit of a good thing for me because there was a drinking ban. And cocaine in those days in Europe was a lot harder to get. You couldn't really find it. So that was a good thing. It kind of weaned me off a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I was drinking a lot of booze with them. They were basically beer drinkers. And and we partied every night. You know, we would drink. And uh, I started feeling pretty ill. And <laughs> like I had this, you know. Basically. Pneumonia. That'll yeah, make you feel ill. I mean, as you would say, I had the shits, you know, I just did. <laughs> I was like, sick. And I'd get up on stage, and you know, you've been sick and got on stage. And everything's fine when you're on stage. You feel like, oh, wow, I'm great. This is fine. And then you come off, and you're like, oh. Oh, man. Right? Yeah. You're back to being sick again. I had food poisoning once on stage <clears throat> with Nicolette Larson, and it was bad sushi. And I had to do... they. They really pressed me into doing it as as green as I looked, and I did the whole gig yeah. sitting on a stool, just green. Yeah, and came out. Well, the you know, as, as in our position, being in a band, we're not the guy that can go, "Hey, uh, can't do the gig tonight." You know, you just got to keep going. You got to keep going. And I had a bucket next to me, the whole thing, and and I remember one night. It's a really funny story in the book, but you know, it was like somewhere in mid America. I literally had to get off the drum stool and run to the bathroom in the middle of the show. I was just going to implode up there. I was yeah. like, and fucking Ian on the mic, our drummer's gone for a shot. Oh, <laughs> like, to the audience. I'm like, come on, man. I mean, just, uh, you know, can you do like a guitar or something? You can cover me. It could have been worse, man. I was <laughs> playing in, in Paris. At the big theater there called Bercy, you've probably played in the middle of Paris at Bercy. Yeah. And the bass player uh, was wearing, you know, white jeans and a white vest, and he got the shits. And uh, he ran off straight. Hey! And as he's run off, you see, he didn't oh. quite make it to oh, the horrible. For all no, the crowd, no white 17,000 yeah. people. Yeah. And, but he came back and finished the gig because rock and roll. Rock and roll. So let's move on to GNR. Yeah. Uh, and I guess eventually Slash and Duff saw you play with the cult and asked you to join. Mm-hmm. That's really where it took off for you. How did that happen? Do you remember that night? Oh, yeah, it's in the book. And I'll never forget it because we were backstage at the old Universal Amphitheater. That was our last sure. show. Remember it well. And the gate opened and this limo pulled up and the door opened. And I always say out poured Slash and Duff. <laughs> they were like, and you know, I had a troop of girls with them, and it just looked so cool. Yeah, it was just 
the most scallywag bunch of guys I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, a whole other level from the Stones even in those days. Yeah. They were just a mess. You know? <laughs> but in a very rock and roll way. You Absolutely. know? And I remember they kind of came pouring out of the limo and there was this like velvet rope area that they had for them. Like a table. They advanced. And there was a guy that had, you know, and I was like, what the fuck? This is my gig, right? <laughs> and they, like, they came and like they fucking owned the place. And in those days, they were the biggest band in the world. And they poured in there and they had their little entourage set up. And I just remember I didn't even go say anything to them. But then I played the show and it was the end of the tour for the call. We were pretty, in those days, if you go back, and I even go back and watch old videos and it was prime cult era. Mm-hmm. You know, we were on fire. The band was great. MTV was raging. They were on all the time. Yeah, yeah. Ian was, you know, the guy. You know, yeah. It was just great. And so I did that show, and then uh, I come off the road, you know, and I had no home. I, I was a vagabond. I had a suitcase. What do I do? I go to my mom's house in Orange County. Mm. And that's when my body completely fell out. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I realized, you know, when you've gotten home off a tour and then you get really sick, mm. it's like your body says, okay. Now that you're home, it's you time to be pay. sick guy for like a month. Yeah. And I ended up going, man, there's, I'm really, something really wrong with me. And went to the doctor and he x-rayed me and said, you're, you have one whole lung full of fluid. You got walking pneumonia. And I broke out in this crazy rash where I had that, that white camp. What's that stuff called? And Calamine kept all over my body. I was just like, I was, and it wasn't even affecting. Oh, uh, laying in bed because the rash was coming from inside, not yes. from outside. Yeah, I remember, mom, mommy, <laughs> mommy, like she's bringing me like juice and stuff. And she, one day she walks in, and uh, I think I said this in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in my speech when I get them. My mom says, "There's somebody named Slush on the phone," <laughs> and. And I get on the phone with Slash, and Slash says, hey, man, this is Slash. You know, you talk to him. He's mm-hmm. so quiet, and he's very soft-spoken. And I'm like, Slash? I'm like, yeah, I got some roses. And he basically says, our drummer, you know, he's in rehab. And doesn't look like he's going to get out anytime soon. And we saw you play, and we loved watching you play. And Can you be up here to work with us on this record? And I'm like, when? He's like, Tomorrow, 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 right? Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow. Echo. Yeah. Echo. Yeah. Yeah. The movie version, that's yeah. when Echo kicks yeah. in. John Paul Jones picking up the phone. And you've got walking pneumonia. Yeah, I'm, I'm sick. I'm like, holy you shit. You know, where people go, man, you look great, because I was all skinny and like, you know, and I'm not feeling good. But I'm like, I go, okay, wh- where am I going? And they go, we'll get you an apartment at the Oakwoods. Oh, shit. Yeah, That's trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I've done a couple stints there. Any musician who's come through L.A. Yeah. has done a stint at the yeah. airport. Come on. They give me a place. The hot tub, the elevator, oh. the pool. Oh, Enough out. said. It was out of control. Out of control. And so they give me a place and I move up there, you know, and I start rehearsing for the Use Your Illusions records, for the recording of the records, but I haven't told the cult yet. So, yeah, how did that go? Tell me, uh, how, how did that go down? Talking to the cult about your new gig, or, or had you assured your spot in GNR yet? I hadn't assured my spot, and I wasn't sure quite where, where I was going to stand with that, if I was just going to make the record or, or, or go back to the cult. Sure, so, right, yeah. So about a week or two went by, and Slash said, hey, man, uh, let's go up to my house, you know. We're gonna have, I'm going to have a little barbecue, and, you know, me and Duff are going to go up and come with us, and... So, you know, we would go out to the little bars and stuff, but this particular night I went up to his house. And that's when we all sat down and we would drink vodka cranberries. That was Guns N' Roses cocktail. One of my favorites. And a splash of cranberry, that much vodka. <laughs> of course. Yeah. We, you got to get the mixture right. <laughs> and uh, that's when he popped the question, you know, we want you in the band and we really like playing with you and want you to join the, the band and we're going to let Steven go, blah, blah, blah. So I said, well, you know, I'm already in a band. I said, but I got, let me talk to those guys, but thank you. And so I took Billy Duffy out to lunch. Mm. And, and, I, and I remember typical Billy Duffy, awesome. I told him what had happened and that they were gonna offer me 
a membership in the band. They were going to cut me in. And I said, how can I turn that down? And uh, he, Billy says, well, if I played drums, I would take it. Nice. And then, and then by, I said, then, you know, thanks, Billy. I, I think I'm going to do it. He says, I guess you're buying lunch then. <laughs> Typical Billy. I go, yeah, I'll get the lunch. Okay. Classic. So, uh, well, you did ask him out to lunch. So yeah. I mean, it's kind of I, what you I, do. The one mistake I did make in that was I didn't have the same conversation with Ian because to this day, I think he's still mad at me about it. But <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, always, I always wish him happy birthday and stuff. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. the transition I that's when I started my journey with GNR which you know was pretty wild and just the right time uh use your illusion was like the biggest album in the world that's incredible and you were playing to like crowds of a hundred thousand more doing massive drum solos right? were you nervous the first time with like you drum solo lights just you well I gotta tell you that happened because I you know the, the craziest part was that's when my cocaine came back pretty strong Mm. Because I always say when I joined GNR, I it was kind of like walking into an opium den. Mm. They were all on heroin, <laughs> slithering around. Yeah, and I said, "You guys, I don't know about this heroin thing. Like, have you tried cocaine? Because this, you guys are all like nodding off and shit. <laughs> like, because in fact, I might know where you might get some. You know, it's. I swear to you, it's not, especially the drummer. Like the drummer on heroin, bad because the drummer falls asleep on the drum stool." It all falls apart. So, you know, God bless Stephen, but, you know, I think they got rid of him, but, you know, because that, that particular addiction. But um, I said, you guys, we need to get it going here, you know, because when I went in there, it was very dark sort of period of that band, and they were trying to find that second album. And when Axel came in and sat down on the piano and started playing November Rain, I was like, there's pianos in this band? I just had, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> that is not in my writer. I like that first record. That appetite thing was killer. What's the piano, right? Yeah, it's very adult. 
very adult, and he had this opus, you know, November Rain and Estrange was one song. It went on for like 20 minutes. That was one piece of music. So we started rehearsing all this music, and uh, it got very grand. Oh, yeah. It was a lot of stuff. I thought we were going to record, you know, 34, 35 songs, and we're going to do one record. Right. 12, 13 songs. And then another big part of the book is when Axel comes into the studio and we were recording in AM Ace, where you guys, I know you recorded a lot. Yeah, Paul. we sure did, yeah. And Axel comes in, full regalia, you know, headband, the whole thing, and he's got like... Aviators on. Yeah, like just full, just you know, ready to go. And he announces to us that we're going to do two records. It's going to be a double album. We're putting it all out. And we're all like, what? And he says, but I've got the idea of how we're going to do it. And this is the moment I realized that as crazy as Axel could be, he was a genius. And he says, we're going to release the album simultaneous, but separate. And he had the whole reason why I wanted to do that. He says, the covers are going to be the same piece of art, but they're going to be different colors, volume one and volume two. And the reason I want that to be that way is that they'll be in the bin and not behind the cast register. Because if an album was over 20 bucks, remember? If it was like a... Right, good, good point. He had to go like... He had a little marketing thing going he, on. He, didn't he? he was just smart like that. And then he could go back to David Geffen and renegotiate the deal. And then we could tour. He, his thing was, we could tour for five years straight. And in those days, when those albums were released, you know, I remember Duff called me and said, sold a million copies in one day. You know, it was like, wow. And the wild ride just... From that point forward, things just got really crazy. It was like being on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Yeah, I'm just curious to like, so everyone but the drummers on heroin, yet there's incredible chaos as if everyone's on cocaine because that, for those who don't know, lends itself to chaos. Yeah. How did it get so chaotic? What, what was well, I like now? to say that I did, I did get them to do more cocaine and like, you know... <laughs> That's your contribution. <laughs> and Duff, Duff never really did much heroin, so he was really a big drinker. And, and But Slash started coming around, and then we... Slash always had such an amazing work ethic. I don't know if you ever heard this story about Axel showing up late to sing with the Rolling Stones. Keith Richards said, I slept in a chandelier last night. What's your excuse? I'm here on time. Woo! <laughs> right? I love it. I slept in a chandelier and I'm here on time. And Slash was that guy. He could party all night, but he'd still be a rehearsal at yeah. And he cracked that whip where we were like, if you're going to party, our job is being in a rock and roll band. If we can't get here at noon, you know, that's not cool. So do what you need to do, but be here. And no, that's a great story, man. That's so we hilarious. would we would rock every day. And then, you know, we would do all of our stuff. But, you know, if somebody got out of line, you know, it would be like, and in the book, I do get out of line a couple of times because something started happening inside me that things got so crazy and so chaotic that I completely had no control of where I was going that day. In the book, it gets kind of scary for me. And I become a guy that goes on these sign of benders. Because actually, I was you know just in a lot of fear. Did you go missing ever? Yeah, I did. Miss a gig? Yeah, oh, yeah I went missing. I went missing in the jungle of Caracas, Venezuela. For a gig that was supposed to happen in Venezuela. Yeah, before. they found me on a balcony of a hotel. There's a bunch of really good juicy ones about me going on these crazy adventures. I'll never forget it. We you know, we used to fly on the 727 MGM Grand and we all had our own bedrooms and there was five stewardesses on the plane and you know, of course we were all sleeping with them and you know, it was just all like, wow, I was like Mayhem. You, know, you know, we wanted to be the Rolling Stones cocksucker blues. That's you know, that's what we we're doing. Yeah. It was just like, you know, people rolling down the aisles of the plane while you're taking off and pick up girls in the strip bar and like Houston, fly with us, you know, whoa. And damn. forget who they were by the time you arrived. <laughs> yeah, give them a Southwest ticket back or, you know. <laughs> nice. And, you know, here we were, I mean, you know, and like I say in the book, and uh, I try to like uh, write it in the voice that it was then, you know, because even looking back and talking through it, I'm like, wow, okay. Uh, it was pretty heathenistic, mm -hmm. you know, but I was a younger man. It was a different time. 
I never like to think that anyone got hurt in the process as mm-hmm. far as like girls or, you know, everybody was in the party together. Mm-hmm. You know, coming to your town. I'd say that's it. fair for sure. You know, it was a time. Yeah. You know, that time has changed. They wanted but, to be uh, there. They wanted to have fun. Everyone was doing the thing that was rock and roll in those days. It was exactly that. But by the end, when that 727 landed, MGM Grand, and I'll never forget it. It was like Song Remains the Same, where all the limos pull up. Yeah. And we literally, I remember looking at Duff going, oh, shit. Like, I used to gauge my alcoholism and looking at those guys. Uh-huh. We were all puffy. I looked yeah. back, my face was like this. Wow. You know, it was just like, you know, like liquid, you know? Yeah. And uh, we poured off that plane, three and a half year tour, played around the world four times, and we were cooked. And we never, we never got back, back. Mm-hmm. And when we went into trying to write that, that next album was when it got really dark. And me and Axel finally have it out. And he fires me in. Mm. And I remember I, I had this killer house, a full rock star pad, like uh, by the Beachwood Canyon, uh, by the Hollywood sign, six thousand square foot pad with two elevators and recording studio and I remember I had two black Porsches because I forgot about the first one you know that kind of shit <laughs> just like crazy awesome. shit like oh I've already bought it I already bought one no I had a Carrera and I had a Targa that, uh, so I, I remember pulling in and I was producing this band at a full recording studio there and that band Candlebox they were on sure that. I remember them and uh, Kevin and all the guys were they on Maverick or something yeah, like that yeah they were all staying at my house because they had all these rooms we were working on music and I walked in and I, I remember I had a, like a case of beer and a bottle of Jack or something. I said, Axel fired me and I think this time it's for real. And that was it. You know, I got the letter from the lawyers and, and that was a really, that was a really strange time. And in the book, it talks about sort of, you know, okay, that gig's gone. Now what? I've just been in the biggest band in the world. I'm going to follow this up. Yeah, right. And then, um, you know, I get clean after that. I go through this period of uh, coming off of that, you know, becomes the, the, the addiction got really out of control because now I was really, let's just face it, I was afraid of what the fuck was coming next. In retrospect, I always say to people, it's like kind of like watching somebody else's movie. It was fucking out of control. But at the same time, it was the greatest era of that particular band, and I happened to be there. So that was a gift. And then I always say, because of that band, I've been able to navigate the rest of my life based on that's probably my highest accolade. So if people, you line people up and go, how many people know the cult? Out of 10, maybe it might be two. How many people know Velvet Revolver? Uh, maybe two. Yeah. Go Guns N' Roses. Ten. Every arm goes up. You yeah. know, so that's taken me down different paths in my life. The journey, you know, my entrepreneurial efforts, my things that I'm doing on, you know, in charity. And uh, it's all based on my legacy with these particular groups, especially GNR. So, yeah, that's cool. What Those were the halcyon days, man. You're really lucky to have been a part of it, man. Yeah. Amazing. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit NFL.com slash schedule release to learn more. I've heard that you mentioned Velvet Revolver was one of the best times of your career. And as a founding member, uh, that fame came to you in another band, which rarely happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas GNR, of course, was huge before you got there. What made the experience with Velvet Revolver so much better for you? Uh, Well, you know, that I was equal in the band, um, which was cool. I was very visionary in, in that particular group I was very very respect Dolphin Slash always respected me musically and my my sensibility for uh certain things about the music either it was arrangement or stylistically or production um even fashion <laughs> I'd be like Slash wear that red shirt or like you know and then when me and Scott Weiland came together and Scott joined the group me and him had sort of the same sensibility about taking the rock and roll and bringing it into now somehow, Mm -hmm. you know, making it current. Like we couldn't, we knew we couldn't make another Guns N' Roses record with Scott Weiland as the vocalist. We couldn't rest on our laurels and just make like a retro rock album, if you Mm -hmm. will. So we made a really serious choice of trying to compete in a modern Mm -hmm. rock and roll world. And Mm -hmm. here we were, um, you know, I think I was like 40, I mean, when we launched that band, uh, 2004, I was, so I was 44 years old, you know, and we made a really big, we, everything that went into that band was like, okay, we're all sober. We're, you know, we're clean. I got in really great shape. Scott was doing a lot better. We got him cleaned up and. He was sober then? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We, well, we had some issues and that's in the book, but I don't want to go too into detail with that because. That's, there's a couple really long-ended stories. Yeah, sure. When we, when we get him in the band, it's not completely perfect at the beginning. Yeah. Let me put you that way. But he comes around and, and uh, things are on fire. And um, the greatest thing that happened for me with that particular band was I wrote the riff, the first song that launched the band, which was a song I wrote on guitar uh, called Set Me Free. Sure. And I had the riff, and I'll never forget playing it for Slash. Because it's... Yeah. And I played it. Slash, you know, here I am. You know, if I was to play in front of you, I would be nervous. Yeah. I could be in front of 50,000 people. If you're standing there, or I had to play guitar in front of, you know, you or Slash, I'd be like, oh, shit. You know? <laughs> and, you know, I, I can bang a few chords, but here I got this riff. Yeah. Slash goes, oh, I really like that, except that one note. You know, but then he came up with this other whole thing and we recorded it and we got this big soundtrack for Ang Lee's version of the Hulk. Oh, and, yeah. And, right. and we got this crazy uh, licensing deal. Mm. And it was like probably more money than I'd ever seen in my entire career, like in one fatal swoop. Mm-hmm. It was just like, what? You know, and then a publishing deal. And then we got signed by RCA, Clive Davis. 
and it was sort of the end of the big record deals. And all of a sudden, here I was equal. I had publishing deal because I'd written songs. So all the things were, were really great. And the band, the look of the band felt right. We got the right guy to mix it, Andy Wallace. And Clive Davis was such a genius. I mean, I remember waiting five months to release the album. It was done. We had the artwork. Conceptually, we had the title, Contraband. We we loved the title because it was just about us. We were contraband. It's a great title. You know, we were like, we created this great video, Slither, where we went in. But we had to wait. And Clive said, wait, we're waiting. We're waiting. We were like, we waited a week. We waited another week. Why? Why are we waiting? Clive says, trust me. I remember we were, we were doing like a show in Vegas, went to do like corporate or something. And we all got called into a uh, conference room and there was the, you know, the phone thing in the middle of the table. And Clive came on the phone. It was, I believe it was a Tuesday. And he says, gentlemen, I'd like to uh, give you the great news that you've entered the Billboard charts at number one. Holy and shit. we sold 256,000 records in the first week and uh, it pretty quickly jumped to platinum. And then... Uh, but that was Clive, because Clive was waiting for the week when there was no other competition. Right. To make impact. Yeah, for the release. Yeah, because the, uh, the week before that was... It's very true. It could have been thing. Usher, like, yeah. you know, whatever at that time. Yeah, it's beyond our pay grade. Those kind of decisions. Yeah, he was just, yeah. you know... And then trusting that he was right on all fronts, because that guy's just like, that's his world. And so he he was a big guy in that, and then... The great thing that happened was we got nominated for three Grammys. And, you know, I never won a Grammy before. Guns N' Roses got nominated for a Grammy. It was a very famous year where we lost to Jethro Tull. Mm-hmm. category. <laughs> We're like, Aqualung? I mean, what? Remember that? Metallica, Not, Guns yeah. N' Roses, and yes. Jethro Tull. And they won. They won, yeah. Yeah, sacrilege. Heavy metal category. Mm-hmm. So I remember... We went, we won one Grammy out of that. That was the year that Green Day had the big record. So Green Day mm-hmm. got Best Rock Album. We mm-hmm. were in that category. They had that crazy. Mm-hmm. So all that stuff was happening, you yeah. know. And then, um, unfortunately, during the second album, a lot of bad habits came back. And there's a lot about it in the book. But um, I fell off the wagon after about six years of being clean. And- so some of that same chaos that you'd experienced with JNR started uh, rearing its head with yeah, the revolver. Like, a little bit yeah. of that same chaos. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know if it was like the feeling of being out on the road too long. We were out, the first tour was 18 months. And I remember thinking, they're dangling the carrot because we're getting like big offers and yeah. but we're all beat up. Yeah. And things were starting to go wrong and, there was starting to be tension in the band and everyone was getting back into their old habits and Scott was getting high and mm-hmm. it was getting weird. It was just starting to be not fun and and Slash was over it. I could tell he was <laughs> over it. He was ready to just... So we we basically fired Scott April 1st. We were in Amsterdam. I'll never forget it. We gave him like... We literally all got in a van and split and he got handed a uh, notice you're fired basically and it's not April Fool's this mm-hmm. is for real you know looking back in retrospect losing Scott and stuff and going and looking back at him and seeing how great he really was you know even though he had his hiccups fuck he was great yeah he was a great front man great singer fuck when he was out there some nights I'd be just like holy shit man uh he had all the moves you know he, he was like a little bit of Iggy Pop mixed with like Perry Farrell mixed with Mick Jagger mixed with you know, he just emulated all these Bowie. He could, uh, yeah, a lot of Bowie in there. We did a gig together. We did uh, Live Aid together in Hyde Park, right? Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, speaking it, of freaking it, out. Yeah. I remember that day because I, there's a picture of me, and right before I walk out, you know, here we are, 200,000 seats, and Paul reaches over, and he shakes my hand, and he goes, knock him dead. Right? And I went, I went, Paul McCartney, right? Like, you know, I wish you wouldn't have, you know, and he's standing there watching us, right? Yeah. You guys were there. But he freaked freaked me out. But, uh. He has a way of doing that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you're on stage a lot of times. It's not a big deal to you because 
you've had that relationship. But for me, it was like, holy shit, it's a Beatle. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even look at him for the first six months on stage. I'm a member of the band, and I'm literally looking yeah. down at my shoes like, don't look at him. You're like, am I dreaming? You'll screw up. Yeah. I'm sure you'll screw up if you even look at him. Probably one of my greatest adventures recently was with Billy Gibbons. Mm. And I think it really brought me back to the core of why I became a musician. Mm. Billy Gibbons is the living, breathing example of the pure, vagabond, um, traveling minstrel. Yeah, he is. He is the real deal. And I, when I was on the bus with him, I was just like, I was in awe about how good I felt. Yeah. Just being out there again. Yeah. Traveling down the highway in this bus. Mm -hmm. Didn't give a shit if I had a hotel room. I was mm -hmm. happy to be in my bunk. Nice. And the vibe was killer. You know, we made sure that we had like, he liked soup backstage every day when we rolled in. We all had pajamas on. We told stories. We listened to music every night. And I just, it gave me a whole new renewed sense of why I started to play music in the first place. And I said, I want to be like that guy. Right on. I mean, I'll, there's so few of them. It's like Willie Nelson, Billy Gibbons, yeah. you know. And then I, sort of like being a little bit older now, why do you want to do it any other way? Right? I mean, you're working with one of the greatest artists of all time. And I'm mm -hmm. sure you guys have a machine that just rolls. Right? And you do your gig and you, you, you have a great time. And yeah, and play these amazing the greatest songs ever written. Yeah, it's 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 fortunate territory. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Well, this has been a blast, man. Listen, mm -hmm. we're gonna wrap it up with a lightning round. We like to call the encore. Yeah. Well, it, it said that uh, tragedy plus time equals humor. What's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you on stage, and how did you get through it? Uh, Axel told me to stop at Giant Stadium. Um, one time and I was supposed to watch because he would always pull out this whistle and the whistle meant we were going to start a song called Night Train. Sure. So I, I, I do Welcome to the John and then I go I'm there, right? Yeah. I'm like huge like that, right? And I didn't see Axel pick up the whistle and he's looking at me and he goes and I'm like no, go, I'm, I'm in. Right? It's like, can we just switch it up? It's, everyone's tuned the same. It's not a guitar change. And I look at, I think it was Gilby in those days. I fucking start, motherfucker, go. Right? And he's like, he's like this. Like, nope. And so I'm going for a while. And Axel goes on the mic. He goes, stop! <laughs> so I get up. I take the drumsticks. I just motherfucking through the middle of the drum and I went, fuck you. <laughs> That's one way to have it. Yeah, but it was like, it was like, if you pull it up on YouTube, I think it shows the whole scene. But the audience loved it. I love it. Was that the snare drum you uh, you drove your six through? or the No, I drove through the Tim. Tim. Yeah. Yeah, because you wouldn't need that on the next song. That's pretty it's like one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any uh, pre-show rituals or superstitions that you uh yeah i do don't do them as much anymore but i used to have a whole thing with underwear i always had to wear red underwear and then um i had a chain that i always wore around my neck yeah and i would chew gum for three songs mm. and um but that was fucked up because the camera guys in the front always had these horrible photos because <laughs> yeah. they're only so in the pit for three and, and i'm like, I'm like I'm yeah i always look like shit i'm <laughs> like oh i wonder why but um so the chain one time, I remember we were playing some Enormo Dome and I had this Chrome Hearts chain. And I remember being halfway around in the golf cart going, hold on, I can't go on. I've got my chain. Right? And they're like, what the fuck? Come on, we gotta go. I'm like, I gotta go back. I have, I can't play. And that's the last scene of the 1980s. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So our jobs, you know, are, are so loud and, and it's exhausting and all that. We all know that. What do you do while on tour these days to stay healthy and, and recharge and stuff? Oh, God, isn't it different? You know, it's like you go backstage now, it's fucking smoothies and, you know, wheatgrass and yoga, you know? And I love that. You know, like I said, my everything I'm telling you in these stories is is the old me. I'm, 
I go out on the road now and I'm, I'm stretching. You know, it's all about stretching, <laughs> like drinking plenty of water. You know, I remember not even thinking about water in the old days, but now I got to drink a lot of water. I got to make sure I get the right amount of rest. My job is to stay as calm. I found that if I stay relaxed, I have a great show. Exactly. It's all about staying so chill. True. Staying chill. Well, let me ask you this. Well, what new music are you listening to right now? My God, I'm out here in the desert, you know, I got my vinyl going, I'm listening to all the cool shit, but I, I, there's a young band that I really like, and whenever there's kind of a little bit of a movement of musicians playing instruments that are young, it excites me. Like, I know people have had an issue with um, Greta Von Fleet being too zeppelin or whatever, but the reality is young kids don't really know Zeppelin. So anybody that's playing an instrument is cool. There's a band called Joyous Wolf that I'm really watching out for. Mm -hmm. Have you heard them? No, I haven't. Um, they kind of remind me of a young, I want to say Sabbath meets Lin Thin Lizzy. And that excites me. Uh -huh. Like a new generation. Of the stuff we grew up on. Of kids that are studying yeah. the good shit, but somehow bringing it new. So before we wrap it up here, uh, what are you doing uh, nowadays? I know you get involved with a lot of charities and stuff. Uh, tell us just a little bit about what they mean to you. Well, I'm a, I'm a co-founder uh, of Adopt the Arts, and that's my main charity that I run with my partner, Abby Berman, and we do music and art for kids in public schools. And we just finished a curriculum and a book that, that really embodies what we're, what we're about. And I think a lot of People think music is a curricular activity that, you know, maybe it's the first thing it needs to go in, mm -hmm. in a setting of education. But in my opinion, how much of life have we learned about being musicians? Obviously, we've traveled, but not only where the music comes from, you know, culturally, but what kids can learn about working together in a group setting. It's not about competition. About listening. Yeah. Yeah. Melody, Playing harmony. Each other. Harmony. You know, when you say the word harmony, that's very important to me. And then I'm I'm uh I'm in some animal groups too. I'm on the board of Dolphin Project, Captivity of Dolphins. Uh I don't believe in any captivity of any uh, wild animals. Great work, man. So uh in what is your favorite original song you've written or performed? And are you uh, writing and producing anything new that you want to tell us about right now? Huh. Yeah, well, I did a couple solo records, and I've just re-released my second solo album on vinyl, which uh, people can pick up um, on uh, theexperiencevinyl.com. And I made a record, I called the band Fierce Joy, Matt Sorm's Fierce Joy. So I made this record called Stratosphere, and I was sort of in a, like a real, uh, I don't know, just thinking about the world in general when I wrote the record. And there's a, re a song on the album that was the lead track called The Sea. It's kind of real petty Americana. And I, I didn't even play drums on the record. I played guitar and sang. Mm -hmm. So that's probably lyrically uh, the most meaningful. It's basically uh, an emotionally cleansing lyric, sort of everything that we've been talking about up until I've noticed my voice has changed. Now I'm this other guy. And I like to say that my book is probably that kind of a life journey. You know, mm -hmm. we all go through stuff. I just happen to do it in rock and roll. And, mm -hmm. You know, and then you end up someplace and you look back and you go, oh, well, hey, that was wild. And where are you now? Kind mm -hmm. of thing. So when I wrote that album, that's exactly where I was, I was at emotionally. When you write a record, mm -hmm. you're feeling something, right? Mm -hmm. So you write sort of what naturally comes to you. Could be culturally or what's happening in your life. Mm -hmm romantic mm -hmm. so that particular song is probably my favorite well you got a full life man i thank you so much man for making yeah, some time well, for us today and coming on over here and sharing your stories it's been amazing well i appreciate it brian this is a great uh, vibe here i feel like it should be almost like now that the sun's going down you know the martinis come out that's right Playboy after dark kind of thing. That's yeah, right. Maybe some saxophone. That's right. Some light saxophone with some <laughs> brushes on a snare drum. <laughs> Let's start that band. <laughs> Saxes after dark with <laughs> Matt Sorm and Brian Ray. Oh, Palm Springs, California. Yeah. It's been a good life so far. Just keep going. Keep rocking. That's right. Thanks so much, man. See you later. 
I'd like to thank everyone for listening and a big thank you to my friend Matt Sorum for sharing his amazing stories. As much as we got to during this interview, there's a lot we couldn't cover, so make sure to grab a copy of his book, Double Talk and Jive, available for pre-order now. On Tour is a production of iHeartRadio and Black Barrel Media. This show is produced by Mandy Wimmer with executive producer Noel Brown, and I'm your host, Brian Ray. For more information about On Tour, visit our website, blackbarrelmedia.com. For behind-the-scenes photos from these interviews and to interact with us, visit our social media at On Tour Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more shows from iHeartRadio and Black Barrel Media, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.